how to. Yeah, give him a hand. Are you like me when you watch, you watch those videos where they get on and they're like infomercials and they're trying to sell you something and you're like, man, that's so cool. I should try that. I felt like that's what y'all just did with this video. You were like, oh, that's really cool. So I want you to know there will be a new and different video like this every single week. So when you come to New Beginnings, not only will you get spiritual help, you'll get so much more. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, welcome to a brand new year. Welcome to New Beginnings. Welcome to a brand new series called How To. And, and this series, just so you know, is a series meant to just help you establish yourself at the very beginning of the year. Because I want to give you a few things that I think are essential, some, some essential how-tos to build a great year, to start the year off right. And so this series, just so you know, is meant to be very, very practical. And, and today I want to start out with what maybe ought to be the most obvious message, which is this. I want to talk to you today and, and look at the scriptures and look at the Bible and answer this question. How exactly do I start my year off right? Like, what is the Bible? What would the Bible say in terms of me establishing a new year and establishing my life and moving forward from this point? And so that's the groundwork that we want to work through today is how do I start my year off right? Now, how many of you did the New Year's Eve thing and stayed up till midnight? Show of hands. Okay, no, 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 that's, that's not fun. Let's, let's do it differently. How many of y'all cashed in early and said, I'm going to bed, I don't even care? How many of you celebrated uh, New Year's at 9 p.m. because that's when it was going on in New York? How many of you went to bed earlier and thought, what's New Year's somewhere and I don't even care? You just, you don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so I, I want you to know, like, I was out hanging out with some, um, some friends and we were doing the whole new, I played ping pong. I felt that like it was like a silence there. I didn't know why y'all did that. So uh, I played some ping pong. I, 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 I had some pigs in a blanket. I had champagne at midnight. I did that whole thing. And we counted down. We did the 10. I think we actually missed it. And we, because DVR is amazing. We, we actually missed the act. Well, we just rewound it to like 50 something seconds. And then we counted down because we missed it by like a minute. We, were, we weren't paying attention. And, uh, and we did the whole countdown thing. You do the five. Four. But how many you know, how many of you guys watch? Dick Clark's rockin' New Year's Eve thing to do. Y'all watch that? Okay, so that's what was on. We, we put that on. Um, we're, we're, the, the family I was with is anti-Miley, so when Miley came on, we changed the channel, but we came back. But Miley's crazy. And Jesus bless her. Uh, but they had this thing. Now, how many know, like, New York is crazy? Can you imagine? Like, I went to, the, like, the last Niner game at Candlestick Park, and literally, I was on the, on, on the brink of insanity because of the level of, of crowd and traffic. Like, I, I felt like I could hurt somebody if I needed to. And so, but we're talking about Candlestick Park. Man, that's like 100,000 people. Like, New Year's Eve downtown, it's over a million people. Can you imagine the insanity of people down there? And so anyway, they got everybody down there. And then um, what's the new host name? Is it Seacrest? Ryan Seacrest, Mr. Idol. And, uh, and so he goes over and he's interviewing people. And he's asking them like, hey, it's about to be the turn of the year. What are some of your New Year's resolutions? And I, I listened to him. I was so intrigued by what they said. You want to hear what some of them said? You look, some of y'all watch, so y'all know what they said. One of them was like, I want to make more money. Like, all right, yeah. And that's so funny, too, because they're kind of all in, like, woohoo mode, where you're like, I want to make more money, woohoo! Like, you can do anything if you get excited and just say woohoo at the end. You can say, like, I need to take a bath, woohoo! You can say anything. One of them, it was a girl, was like, I want to fall in love and find the love of my life. Woohoo! 
like, I'm going to travel the world this year. And one of them was like, I'm going to start working out and get that rocking body. Yeah. I'm like, wow. This is, but this is just reflective of kind of the way that now, again, these are woohoo people. You know, it takes a certain person to go downtown New York on New Year's Eve. I mean, we are dealing with a specific class of people, but, but they are reflective of some of the times that we think about things and we, we look into our future and how many know New Year's Eve is definitely the time where traditionally as Americans, we have New Year's what? Yeah. Or if you watch the AT&T commercial, you have New Year revolutions. And uh, I don't know what that would mean. But, but in New Year's resolutions, you have these goals that you set for the year, right? And, and I've, always, I've always looked at goals, and I've always had a little bit of a tension with goal setting. Now, if, if I start talking about goal setting, how many of you out there get excited about that? Your natural, like, goal, like, very few. You know, be excited if you're a goal setter. It's okay. Let's do it again. How many goal setter people? Yeah, you're kind of like, yeah, and I take things on, and I do things, and I plan, and I organize. And you get excited if I talk about How many of you hate goal setting? You hate it. You're awful at goal setting. Good. See, I, I'm here for everybody. And so... So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what goal. Let, let, let me give you some conventional wisdom. Can I give you some conventional wisdom? This is what, what maybe you would hear in, in the world is that there's a right way to set goals and then there's some dumb ways to set goals. Can I get amen out there? Just There's some good ways and some bad ways. And so like conventional wisdom would tell you that there's, not, there's smart ways to set some goals, right? Have you ever guys heard the smart goal setting? Okay, just this crowd right here. Nobody over here. Okay, so let me give you an idea of what some SMART goals are. Number one is this, is that to have some SMART goals, number one, they need to be specific goals, right? Like, and and here's the reason why this makes good logic and and, and makes sense here. is because some people would set a goal and say, well, you know what? I want to read more this year. And while that's like a worthy goal, that's not a good goal. Because like technically you could go read one more book this year than you did last year. I mean, you could read one more page more really, and you would have accomplished that goal, right? So you can't be like, oh, I just want to read more, because that's not specific, is it? That's not like, you know, like maybe a better way to put that goal would be, I want to read one book per month this year and be be a a better reader. Can I get, does that make sense? Number two is measurable. Kind of the same idea that, that, that whatever we set before us needs to be a good, so like to say, I want to have that rocking body. Well, how do you measure rocking body? Like, like, do you just like hold a magazine up to your, your selfie and be like, it's kind of close to what the magazine, co- no, 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 it needs to be measurable. Like a healthy goal would be to say, hey, I want to lose, you know, X number of pounds this year, this time or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So number, number three is this attainable. So if you go back to the book thing, you wouldn't want to be a guy that says, I'm going to read a thousand books this year. I mean, you're lofty. That's really, you know. Got a lot of hope going on there. I don't know that that's attainable. I heard a guy telling me earlier today that his dad can do a thousand push-ups in a row without stopping. I'm like, your dad lied to you. You're young and you don't know that he just lied to you about that. I'm just kidding. Juan, I love you. And your dad. It's got to be attainable though. So like the thousand bucks or the thousand books thing, that doesn't work. Number, number four is, is realistic. That, that comes into play as well. And then lastly, we have the T, which is timely, meaning like goals should have some type of, of, of time on them. Because you could say, well, I want to lose, um, lose 20 pounds, you know, that kind of a thing. And then 20 years later, it's like you're still, you still got that goal. I got this guy that has this book. It's called Body for Life. Have anybody ever seen the book Body for Life? 
and um, Troy, you know what I'm talking about. He, he's had this book literally for a decade. And he, he, he constantly would tell, because I, I remember when I first met him, I saw this book on his desk. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You're reading this book, trying to get in shape. He goes, yeah, yeah that's a great book, man. That's a great book. I've only read the first couple of chapters. It's a really good book. He literally texted, this is 10 years ago. He literally texted me last week and said, hey, man, guess what? I started rereading the book, Body for Life Again. And so uh, I'm like, that was 10 years ago, dog. And he's in worse shape now than he was when he had first bought the book. So here... Everybody say smart. So there's some smart goals. I mean, this is just what we would say is conventional wisdom and logic. And I agree with all this stuff. The only other thing that I would say to this is like, write it down. Like there's something about writing your goals down that makes it legitimate. Because it makes it something that you really do commit to when you write it down. You can revisit it. You can see it. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk even says that. Habakkuk 2.2 says, write the vision and make it plain so that he who reads it may run with it. And so the idea that we... We write it down and it helps us a little bit more. And so this is the way we would do smart goals. And so, but I, I have a tension with goals. So like, I think goal setting is good, but I also think that if you don't do it right, goal setting can be awfully dangerous. And so I started to ask myself, like, how can we start the year off right to where we kind of have like, uh, I don't want just a self-help approach because I hate that. I don't know about you. I'm a Bible guy. I'm, I really am. And, and a lot of self-help people, they have a good intention, but I always think that, that God's wisdom is divine and that human wisdom, it has flaws in it. And so I, I want the divine wisdom. I want the juicy, the good, the rich, the deep. And so I started asking myself, and so I looked at the scriptures, and you find the notion that God does want you to plan and have goals at times. So I'll give you an example. So Jesus is telling a parable, and he basically says this. He goes, what man building a tower does not first go and count the cost? to assess all that he must do to build this great tower. And he needs to do this because you don't want, this is what Jesus says. This is the, the paraphrasing verse. He's like, you don't want to start the tower, get halfway done and then quit and then everybody make fun of you. That's what Jesus said. He goes, or what man going to war does not count the cost to see if, if he with this many troops can take on that many troops. So like there is the notion of planning that, that we think about things. Listen to this. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says that the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So like, I'm, I'm all about you having some plans and you thinking about things. We don't just jump headlong into ideas and just jump right in without any thought, without any prayer, without any preparation. We just don't do that. But there's also like this, this thing that James says, and this is where my tension and my struggle comes in. Listen to what James says. James chapter 4 says, now listen. I love how he starts out. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then poof, it vanishes. So here's the, here's the thing that James says. He said, be careful. Those who get out into their goal setting and get out into their plans and start making their lists and start getting your Excel spreadsheet. Be careful with your goal setting because some of you sit back and say, well, I want to be here in a year. I want to be here. This is my five-year goal or my 10-year goal or my whatever your goal. He said, be careful because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So as lofty as your ideas are, good, or maybe as good as your goals are, there's some things you're not in control of. There's some things that you have no effect on whatsoever. God can change the things, and, and things could move around. And, and, and here's what I really find, and let me, let me kind of put it like this. Don't make goals absent from God. Let me, let me restate that even more emphatically. Never, never make goals separate from God, because you don't know. 
As a matter of fact, before you start with some smart goals, you know what you need to do? You need to pray first. Before you think about what would be specific and attainable and realistic and measurable and timeable. No, 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 no. What would the Lord have me do? Because if you, if you start off, let, let's be honest. Can I just make, make a little thought here? When we look at our goals, most of them have some level of selfish ambition, don't they? Not all of them, but certain ones that we set out, a lot of them have like a selfish ambition to them. So like really, we, we need to be extra careful that we start off by saying, God, what would you have me do? God, where do you want me? God, where do you want my focus and attention? There's, a, there's an old saying that goes like this. If you ever want to make God laugh, just tell him all your plans. <laughs> Number two is this. Um, don't be unwilling to change your goals when God changes life. Like, like some people get so set on their goals, but then life changes, life adjusts, life happens. And you need to be able to adjust those goals as God changes life or as life un, you know, evolves and unravels before you. And then thirdly, this is the big one that I, I see people run into. And this is the, especially the type A personalities that get really, really headstrong about their goals. And it's this, don't sacrifice your values for the sake of attaining goals. Like I know guys that are so financially driven I know a guy that says flat out, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40 years old. And I'm like, okay, is that a good goal though? Now money's not wrong. Money's not evil. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, but money is not an evil thing. It's, a, it's an amoral thing. But here you've got this ambition. I would say, well, what would be the point of you trying to become a millionaire by the age of 40? Doesn't that have some level of selfishness? You should check that in your heart and say, Why? And I'm not saying to have a million dollars is bad at all. I'm just saying to have the desire in your heart to be at a certain specific place by a certain time. Like you might need to check the, the motive and the intent of your heart before you... Get, and and here's, the, here's the other problem with that. Like this guy's married and has two kids. So then I'm thinking, okay, well like here's the reality. For you to get a million dollars doing what you're doing by the age of 40, what will you have to give up in order to attain that? Like, because somewhere down the line, you're probably going to be working extra hours and working long and working hard. So, like, it, it, to get something, you have to give up something. So, like, then you get into these, these values that, that have to be compromised, these other things that need to be sacrificed. And so, literally, you're going to sacrifice your family on the altar of success so that you can reach your goal. And I'd say, for what? So be careful in your goal setting. Be careful when you think. I know people that so badly want to be married. And you know what? Your intent is to so, you don't want to be alone. You're afraid of being alone. And what if I miss? And well, I'm getting older. And well, I got an internal clock. And I got all these things pushing me. And I really, really want to get married. But what happens when you push so hard into that goal that you start compromising your values? And instead of, of waiting for not just Mr. Right, but Mr. Godly and Mr. Divine, you end up settling for Mr. Right now. Because you sacrificed your values to attain a certain goal because you thought you needed something. So, so I'm all for goals, but here's, here's where we're going to shift gears today. Because I think more than setting goals, something else has to be done first. And I think there's a parable that Jesus tells that gives us a blueprint for how life should look. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 25, Jesus bust out one of my favorite parables. And to me, a parable that has always been a little bit of a of a life gauge, if you will. Listen to the words and you'll probably see why. The Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like, now Jesus would start out these parables many times this way because what he's saying is this, this is how life really works with God. 
This is how it really, underneath God as king, inside his kingdom, this is how it should look. It's like a man traveling far to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And one he gave five talents to another two to another one, each according to his own ability. Which is interesting because you need to make note of that. Like, we're not all the same. We're not. The whole thing in the Constitution about all men being created equal, that, that's, that's not the Bible. We're not all created equal. We're equally loved, but we are uniquely made. So he gave to each one according to their own ability. Then he basically leaves to go on his own journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded them and made five more. Likewise, the one who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and said, and he brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered me five. Look, I got you five more. And the Lord said, well done, you good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Same thing happens with the two guy. He also who'd received two talents said, Lord, you delivered me two. I got two more. And the Lord said the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then the guy that had the one talent, totally different story. He said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. Actually, I went and hid the talent in the ground. But look, here you go. Here's what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I don't sow, I gather where I don't scatter seed. And so you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent away from that guy and give it to the guy that has 10 talents. And then he ends with this thought. He goes, Because everyone to, or for to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from he, or from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's a lot of history and some thought. And Jesus tells a very similar parable in Luke chapter 19. There's some cool dynamics that, that I could really talk about in historical and culture. I, I want to put that on, on hold for now. Because here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the big principle about what's going on here. Because before we set any goals, we need to see and realize that life is like this. Life is like a king who basically entrusts you with talent. Everybody say talent. And we say talent, we start thinking about like abilities and, you know, gifts and things that we can do really well and things we're good at. To them, in their actual literal world, a talent was a chunk of gold. This would have been roughly the, like the equivalent of, you know, maybe half a million dollars to the guy that got five talents. I mean, this was a lot of money. And so he entrusts them with, and these are obviously his guys, his servants, the people that work for him. He goes, hey, I'm headed out. I'm going on a journey, but I'm coming back. And here's what I want to do for you. I'm going to put you in charge based on your ability level. Like, I'm not going to give you more than what I think you can handle. I'm going to put you right where I think is a good gauge that what you can be responsible for. So the, you know, the guy with a lot of ability gave him five, then two, and then one. And then the Bible says he leaves for a while. These guys had an understanding and expectation that they had a purpose that needed to be fulfilled. That's the very first thing that you need to do. If you, if you follow with me today and you're taking notes, before you set any goals, before you start making lists and doing all that, you know what you need to do first? You need to discover your purpose. Like every one of you 
is born with purpose on the inside of you. There's something in you that, 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 that God's wired you and called you to do. Some of you, very, very specific things. But can I be honest with you? Again, we'll stay practical. Some of us carry some of the same purposes. Like, how many of you are dads out there? You got kids, you're dads. I'm a dad. And in being a dad, we have a very, very similar purpose. How many of your husbands out there? You got a wife. I'm a husband. You and I, we have a very, very similar purpose. How many of your wives out there? We have a very different purpose. In the past, I would be like, how many of us out there? And I'd be like talking to the women. I've learned my lesson. Wives, you, you, but my wife is a wife. And y'all have a very similar purpose. And so what I've learned is this, is that sometimes we can get into goal setting and get ambitious and get to thinking. And some of them are good. Not all goals are, are, are selfish. Some, I know some goals, and I'll share them with you in a little bit, that are incredibly divine and godly in their inspiration. They're incredible. I'm not saying all goals are bad. And I'm not saying don't set goals. As a matter of fact, what I would say is this, is that long-term goals, be real flexible with those. But once you discover your purpose, short-term goals are real easy to make because you can get locked in and focus in on your purpose real easy. So like, let, let me help you out real quick here. Like, these are some ways that I've begun to define the purpose that God has given me. So like all those dads out there, like as a dad, you know what my number one purpose as a dad is? Is to train my child in a way that he may know and fear the Lord. That's my number one purpose. Whether he gets a scholarship or not, secondary. Whether he's great at sports, secondary. Whether he's super popular, secondary. Whether he, and I'm telling you what, man, we can make, we can make a list of all the things that are important because we look at our kids' parents and we do want the best for them. Isn't that weird how that's hardwired into us? And we just look at our kids and we want the best for them. We want to, to achieve their best and to do their best. But I'm telling you, sometimes you can drive your kid to, to succeed at what you may at the time consider to be the best and you've missed the big picture. And you set a goal that compromised a more, more, more important value. And I'm telling you, sometimes when we get hell-bent just on like sports, 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 academic, academic, they need this, 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 and we miss this. I'm telling you, there's a divine purpose. As a, as a Jesus follower, we have a divine purpose to make sure that our kids know and fear the Lord. I, I've heard some parents like really miss the mark on this. Like I've heard some parents, I was sitting down uh, once getting, getting a haircut, and it was, uh, it was two women right next to me. And uh, Let's skip forward. Um, there's too many details there. But they were talking about how they wanted to let their kids just figure out everything on their own. Well, we're not ever going to force him to go to church. We're not going to tell him anything. And we'll just let him discover that on their own. Oh, that's, that's stupid. I love you, but that's terrible. And here's why. It's because every other organization and agency in the world has determined to teach and train your child. And you're going to forfeit that and let them do it that's asinine. And I love you, but we don't let the world train our children. We don't let TV train our children. We don't let the school system train our children. We don't let other people, listen to me, God gave those kids to you. They are your kids. And I'm not saying that you're mean and harsh and you try to brainwash them in some way. No, no. You love your children and you show them the love of God and you teach them the Bible and you help them to discover God. You can't ever force convert. You can't ever force somebody's heart to open up to Jesus. That is a truly genuine and authentic moment. But I'm telling you as a parent, you put your place or you put your child in the best place to have that experience. And you don't forfeit that to anybody. I need a better amen than, than that. So, uh, so you want, here, how are we doing in time? Okay. 
Like, like here's another thought, parents. Like, here, here's one of my purposes as a dad. One of my purposes as a dad is to train my child to leave. Yeah. And, and, and this isn't me being mean because I love my kids. But, but it's, it's a sad thing when you see kids in their, in their 20s and they can't do laundry. Some of y'all just got convicted up in here. Like ki- kids, are, kids are 25, don't know how to balance a checkbook, don't know how to pay a bill, don't know how to do their laundry, barely know how to get dressed and look halfway decent. And I'm, I'm borderline there with you. I have to have my wife help me. But I'm telling you, one of the things that, that you want to do is train your child to leave. And not kick them out. I'm not saying you... The goal of a parenting is not to kick them out. The goal in life is to train them so that when it's time for them to leave, they're fully equipped and prepared to leave. Like, go read the Bible. Like, that's what, that's what we do. This is just a thought. Here's another one. Husbands out there. Husband, I, I, I just kind of determined, like, this is my purpose. Like, the core purpose that I have as, as a husband is to make my wife feel unconditionally loved and provided for. Like, that's, that's my core purpose. And see, once I discover my purpose, then I can look at setting goals. But if you just start setting goals, absent of understanding purpose, you're going to break stuff. Isn't that true? That was what Miles, uh, Miles Monroe used to always say. He used to say, anybody that doesn't understand the purpose of a thing will abuse a thing. When you don't understand some, the, the reason why something was made and created, you're going to eventually abuse it. That's how life works. And so I need to understand that whatever goals I have, whatever things I want to accomplish, they are always going to surrender to the purpose and the values in which God has already established for me. Let me, let me give you another one. As a pastor, or, or for you, it would just be as an employee, or as a business owner, or as a manager, or whatever it is that you do. Here's what I've determined. Like as a pastor, this is my purpose. And it's what I always call the Joseph principle. It is to do my best and to give my best no matter what the circumstances. Like inside of my job, the responsibility that God has given me, I can't control everything, but I will give my best and I will do my best no matter what the circumstances are around me. Everything starts financially. Like again, remember we were like, remember the woohoo people? Like I want to make more money. Let Let me help you out quick here. There's nothing wrong with having some financial goals. But before that, you need to understand your divine purpose. Your divine purpose financially is to be a steward of what God has given you. And this is what the Bible teaches. If we're going to follow Jesus, now if you, if you don't believe in God and you just showed up and you got tricked into being or whatever, like, like just love me and follow along with me. But for, for us who follow Jesus, you can't get away from the reality that God has given you everything that you have. You have it for a limited amount of time and at the end you will die and it won't be yours no more. So you're the owner of nothing and the steward of everything. That ain't yours. So, so God is lived. You look at all the, what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible at its core teaches stewardship, meaning like you're the manager of what God has given you and it's on lease. And what's fascinating is this, is that God rewards you based on how you handle what you've been given in this life. Isn't that the whole point of the parable? Isn't the whole point of the parable is, is that one guy does this, he understands his purpose and he goes for it. The number two guy with two ten, he understands his purpose and he goes for it. But what's the guy that fails? He didn't understand his purpose. He was bound up by fear. He was misguiding his values and priorities and he missed the mark. And he said, this is what life is really like under the kingdom. And you're rewarded for how well you handle these things. Your physical body is the same way. Like the, I want to get that rocking body. Like, I don't know that that's the goal. I could, I could really strip that one apart quickly, but, but let me just say this. Like, you, you should have some physical health goals. You should. Why? Because your body is like your money. You got it for a limited amount of time. I don't know if you know that or not. You are not your body. You were born. You were given a body. 
If you've ever been to a funeral or if you've ever been bedside with somebody passed away, it is incredibly clear they are not there anymore. That is a shell. That's what you really feel. You will get a sense of it. Is that this is a casing. Somebody used to be inside of it and now they're gone. This is just a body. Well, where did they go? Well, they've moved on or before the Lord now. But the reality is this, is that you've got a body for a limited amount of time. And the Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches that you should glorify God with your body. So, so yeah, I mean, I really do think that there's some things we ought to do and goals and benchmarks we should make with our body. But we need to understand our purpose before we start setting stupid goals. And because when we understand a purpose of a thing, then we won't abuse it. Can I get an amen? amen? So number one is we, we've got to discover our purpose when it comes to life. Number two is this, and I've got to move quickly. You've got, you got to maximize your potential now. Didn't the guy with five have the ability to make five more? And the guy with two have the ability to make two more? This is what potential is. I'll give you the definition for potential. Potential is what you could be, but have not yet become. Let me say that again. Potential is what you could be, but have not yet, not yet, become. I have this buddy of mine that I play golf with, and uh, he's a wonderful guy, a lot of fun to be with. um, But he's a little bit negative, you know anybody like that? Just along the pessimistic side. That glass is half empty, always. And, and, and we're, we're playing golf, and if he's having a bad day, he says this thing where he goes, you know what, I think everybody just has a built-in handicap, or basically what's their way of saying, you are built in and wired to always be this good or this bad at golf. And some of you look at life that way. Well, this is just the way that I am. That's your motto. Well, that's just the way that I am. No, it ain't. That's the way that you are right now. That doesn't mean you have to always be like that. You can change. I know that because the Bible says that all things are possible with God and that God is a worker and you are his workmanship and he is constantly trying to move you from glory to glory and faith to faith and God is trying to change you to make you into the image and likeness of his son Jesus. So you ain't stuck. You might feel that way, but you ain't. You don't have a built-in ceiling because if the guy with five talents really had a built-in ceiling, he couldn't have made what? Five more. And the guy with two, as a matter of fact, the guy with five, you gotta remember this, he started with five. But at the end of the story, he got 11. Which means this, you have the potential to go, here's the best way I can make sense of this. Potential is like a cup. And many times in life, you start off with your little cup. So what's a little cup? Like a, like a Dixie cup. Y'all have Dixie cups? Y'all know what those are? Okay, good. You either have to be old or southern to know what a Dixie cup is. As you start off in life with your, your little Dixie cup, and how many know like you can only put in the cup what the cup is designed to hold? And so does that cup have a limit? Yeah, it does. And here's how God works though. God gives you a little Dixie cup and says, fill it up. All of a sudden you fill it up and you grow to the potential of that cup. And he says, oh, give me that cup. And then he gives you like the cooler, bigger styrofoam, you know, cup. And he, your job is to do what? And then he goes, give me that cup. And he gives you a bucket. Give me the bucket. And he just keeps, because as long as you keep maximizing your potential, as long as you keep working to become the best that you can be at what God has called you to do, you know what God's going to do? God's going to take that sailing, just lift it a little bit higher. Why? Because God can do all things through you. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe you can be a better more Christ-like version of what you already are right now. Like, God's not done with you. You could be 80 years old up in here today. God ain't done with you. You haven't capped out. You're not finished. So here's the questions I would ask you. Like, like, what are you doing in your life to help grow to that next level? Who are you reading? Who are you listening to? Where are you going? Who do you surround yourself with? 
I know this, man. I'm telling you what, you want to be a better husband and you know that's a weakness in your life? Go find the best husbands that you can, that you think are great husbands, and just go hang out with them. I promise you, just being around them and watching them, it'll start to change you. What are you reading? Who are you listening to? There's got to be something that you are doing proactively. Growth does not typically happen by happenstance. Every once in a while it does, but intentional growth comes because you did something. You read something, you went somewhere, you were with somebody, and I'm telling you, you got to break out of that if you really want to maximize your potential. And then lastly, we'll finish with this, is that you need to live a life that blesses other people. Yeah, like before you start setting goals and doing the spreadsheets and doing all that, and I'm telling you what, because what you really want to look at is this. Where are your goals really pointed to anyway? I would dare to say that if you really read the Bible and you look at what God is really all about is that God is all about people. So do your goals make an impact in the lives of people? So some people might have the goal of, I want that rock and body. Or I want to have, I want to make more money. Or I want to travel the world. I want to do, and listen to me, I'm not saying those things are all evil. I think many of them can be misguided. When you look at your goals, ultimately what I want you to do is before you set goals, I want you to discover and determine what your purposes are. Inside of your purposes, I want you to grow to reach your maximum potential to be the best that God created you to be. But thirdly, I want you to look at your life goals and say, are my goals about me? Or are my goals about living a life that blesses other people? I'll give you a couple of examples. There was a gentleman named Reverend Everett Swanson who back in the 50s was in Korea. And he found 35 orphans that had no place to live. And so he literally emptied out his bank account in America and did everything he could to take care of those 35 kids. And he said, man, I can't do it for everybody. I'm going to do it for these 35 kids. And he, 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 he literally worked his tail off to try to save these 35 orphan kids. That right there was the foundation of Compassion International. So he had a goal that started off with, I'm going to help these 35 kids. Eventually the goal grew because sometimes goals need to evolve, right? Eventually their goal was to help a million kids. Right now, they're over 1.2 million. I'm sure their goal has changed. Why? Because some goals are divinely inspired and worth giving your all to. They're worth going after. There, there was another gentleman who had a cool, uh, a cool goal. When I looked at guys that set goals in their life, this, and I have a hard time saying his name. His name was Robert, and it was French because it's Le Tourneau or Tourneau. I don't know how they say it. But he made his money back in the, um, back in the 60s off of like heavy machinery. It was actually even here in California that he made most of his money. But he was an engineer and a designer of this heavy, heavy construction, you know, bold, or, or like, uh, bulldozers and things like that, and made millions and millions and millions of dollars. But once he started making a lot of money, he was always a devout Christian. If you look at all the work that he did and all the th missionary projects and universities, I mean, he, just, he did so many great things with his money. But eventually in his life, you know what he set a goal? He set a goal that he wouldn't tie 10% and live off 90. He actually set his goal that he would tie 90% and live off 10 like, isn't that a cool goal? Now, is that goal probably for every one of us in this room? No, but I mean, how stinking cool is it that when we look back and say, how great would it be that if I could so live in a way and, and live for God in such a way and be blessed by God in such a way that I didn't live off 90 and give 10, but I gave 90 and lived off of 10. And look at what all you could do. And so what I'm telling you is this, is when you look at your goals, ask yourself the question, are my goals selfishly motivated or are there goals in there that will bless other people. When you will go back and look at what I've shared with you today, I promise you this is the way you start your year off right. Because many of you have never really determined what your purpose is. 
So some of us as dads, we're kind of struggling and we don't know where to go and what to do and why. It's because we haven't really honed in and defined what that purpose is. And then when we look inside of that purpose, I'd ask you the question and challenge you, have you really maximized all your potential? Are you just growing occasionally and randomly as life happens? Are you intentional about saying, God, I'm going to leverage? Because this is what happens in the parable of the talents. They took their time, they took their talent, the opportunity that God gave them, and they leveraged it for the kingdom of God. They did the best they could with what God had given them, and in return, God rewarded them. But there was one guy who said, well, I was afraid, and I didn't know, and I wasn't sure, and I just didn't get after it, and here you go. And the Lord, literally, the Bible talks about how the, the, the king punished him because he just sat on what God had given him. Are you maximizing your potential? And then at the root of it all, when you realize this, is that God loves people. And God is all about people. And so we're going to have some ambition and we're going to have some goals. Our ambition and goals should be set upon helping and blessing other people. Can I get an amen out there? You start to define these things. Amen. Yeah, give a little big hand clap. You start to define those things. You'll have a blessed 2014. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much, God, that your word is true and it gives us such insight into how we should ought to really live life. God, there's some goals out there that would probably destroy our families. There were some goals out there that would lead us away from you. There's some dumb ideas out there that would mess us up. God, before we do any of that, God, let us seek you first. God, let us seek your heart. God, what's the purpose that you've given us? Maybe that unique purpose. I mean, everybody in here has a unique one. I can't even touch on that. It's too special. It's too specific. God, what's the unique purpose that you've given us? Maybe what's the purpose that you've given uh, some, some of these moms today, some of these wives today? God, some of these business leaders, God, what, what is it? What have you called us to do? As a business leader, God, maybe there's something so unique that you can have them do as a business owner or as a manager over people that, that Lord God, you're going to use them to have an incredible kingdom impact for the people that you've placed in their lives. God, what, what is our purpose? God, inside that purpose, Lord God, help us to do our best and leverage it all for your kingdom, God, and live a life that blesses other people. God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, this is you. Speak to us. Help us to determine and clarify what that purpose is. God, help us to get to that next level. Help us to see opportunity and just go for it. God, we pray over the year, 2014. We pray that it's a year of blessing. God, we pray that it's a year of favor. We pray this is a year that you do great things. God, we pray that it's a year that we draw closer to you. God, we pray that it's a year that, that we have these moments where you blow our mind and we, you, you wow us and we have these moments where we just draw so close into knowing you. God, we pray over our families. We pray over the future, God. We, we have no idea what tomorrow holds, but God, we trust you. And God, we speak and pray a blessing over the year ahead of us, Lord God. Help us to know our purpose. God, to maximize our potential and to live a life that blesses other people, God. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Can we have the Lord just one more?